closer than a brother and so no matter what storm we might be traversing through the presence of Jesus is always with us Jesus said that we are to go out and to preach the gospel to every creature he gave us an assignment he gave us a mission but then he said and lo I am with you always and so not only did he give us his permission to change the world he gave us his presence to change the world and I'm so thankful that he is with us every step of the way and I'm grateful that you're here today. We are in week number four of a sermon series that we started several weeks ago called It's Complicated. And we've been talking about relationships and the complexity of relationships based out of the book of Ruth. And this week we're gonna be in Ruth chapter four. And so I'm excited about concluding this series together today. And if you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to remain standing and you can grab a Bible. We're gonna be in Ruth chapter four today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. You can take that home with you. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. How many of you are ready to dive into God's word this morning? Anybody like that? Ruth chapter four, we're gonna pick up the narrative in verse number one. The Bible says this, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. If you remember at the beginning, the outset of the story of Ruth, that Elimelech and his wife Naomi decided to move from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. They moved from Bethlehem, the house of bread, because there was a famine in the land. And they moved from Bethlehem and they went to Moab. Moab was no place for God's people, but they made the move for economic and strategic reasons. And so now Elimelech has passed away. Their two sons have passed away, Malon and Kilion. And now Naomi is left with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, as they have traveled back to Bethlehem. Everybody up to speed so far in the text? Notice verse four. And I thought to advertise thee or disclose to you, saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. Everybody say redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must also of, uh, buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my, uh, my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. For a few minutes this morning, I want to speak to this subject, closing the deal. Closing the deal. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, get ready to close the deal. Closing the deal. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this day that we have to come to worship you, to lift high your name. God, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the issues of life, but that we would remain focused and fix our eyes on you alone. And Lord, I pray that as we conclude this series of messages today, that we would 
have a holy understanding of what these verses mean and how they apply to our lives. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be helpful and beneficial. And God, I pray, pray that you would be pleased with our time together. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today, amen. amen. You can find a seat this morning. Recently, my oldest daughter, Liv, has started a bracelet-making business, and uh, she is excited about this. She, she has all the stuff that she needs to make these bracelets, and uh, her grandpa gave her an investment to get this business going, and uh, he decided to invest in this business, and he's here this morning to validate and to verify this. He gave a $50 investment uh, to let her purchase all the equipment necessary and all the supplies to make bracelets, and uh, Liv is learning how uh, to make a deal, and she's learning the uh, fine print of the deal because he gave a $50 investment, but he said, I want $1 a week returned to me in perpetuity for the lifespan of the business. And so Liv really likes having $50, but she's struggling three weeks into the business every time she has to make that $1 payment. And it always pains her to come and to make that payment. But she is learning the fine art of making a deal. She loves watching Shark Tank and learning about the equity and, and uh, what kind of deal she can make. Recently, uh, Elon Musk has been all over the news because of his acquisition, thank you so much, uh, to purchase uh, Twitter. And uh, the deal has kind of been on pause, and everyone is, is, is trying to figure out, is he going to be able to close the deal? Is he going to be able to make this uh, deal final? When we come to Ruth chapter number four, that is the question that is on everyone's mind. Will, will the deal go through? Uh, will Boaz be able to purchase the land that belonged to Elimelech? Will Boaz be able to marry Ruth? Will this deal go through? And will there be uh, redemption? And I want to encourage you today because Ruth chapter number four is a great passage of scripture. And there is so much encouragement to be found in this chapter. Now, uh, Ruth begins with a lot of mourning. It begins with a, a lot of sadness. If you remember the book of of Ruth starts with three funerals. But now we come to the last section of the book of Ruth, and now there's a wedding, and there's a baby that is born. And so there's great celebration. It reminds me of the verse in Psalm chapter 30, uh, verse number five, that says this, weeping may endure for a night, but aren't you thankful that joy comes in the morning? And I just want you to know today that as we look around at our world today and we see the devastation, we see the tragedy, we see shootings, we see wickedness, we see vile uh, intrusions on biblical uh, interpretations, we see the culture going array. There is weeping, there is sadness, there is darkness, but I want you to know today that Jesus gets the last word. And because Jesus gets the last word, there is joy that is coming in the morning. And there is coming a day when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more wickedness, and we will worship Jesus, our King, forever and ever. And so weeping may endure for a night. We live in a sin-infested, sick, and broken world. And because of that, there will be pain, there will be devastation, and there will be brokenness. But aren't you thankful that our Savior is there to help pick up the pieces and to bring healing in the midst of hurting, and he provides clarity in the midst of confusion? And so weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we see the book of Ruth starts with weeping. But now we're going to see in chapter number four that there is great joy and celebration as the chapter comes to a close. And that's what we're going to look to uh, this morning. Now, uh, really, the book of Ruth is about one theme, redemption. 
the one major theme of the book of Ruth is redemption. In fact, the one major theme of Ruth chapter number four is redemption. In fact, the word redeem, buy, or purchase is used no less than 15 times just in chapter number four. And so it's very clear to us what the purpose of the text is and what the central idea of the text is. It's redemption. Now, the word redemption means to purchase back. It's a beautiful term. It's a theological term, uh, to purchase back. In fact, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you thankful for that this morning, that we have been purchased back, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to experience the forgiveness of sins? I remember when I was younger, several years ago, I heard a classic story that kind of helped illustrate uh, the idea of redemption, and it's about a little boy who made a toy boat, and uh, he made this little toy boat, and he went out to the river, and then he lost the boat. He was very sad about that, and a few days later, he was in a toy shop, and he saw his same boat that he made in that toy shop, and so he went to the owner and said, that's my boat. Can I have it? And the owner said, you can't have this boat unless you pay for it, and so he went home, and he worked for a few days. He came back to the store and paid for his boat, and he held that toy boat, and he said this, you're twice mine. First, because I made you, and second, because I bought you. Can I tell you that Jesus has a claim on every Christian today? First, he made you, and second, he bought you, and he bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so that is a picture of redemption, to be purchased back. And this is what we see all throughout the scripture, that God sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life, to redeem us from our sin and to give us a home in heaven forever. That is the theme of Ruth chapter four. That is the theme of the entirety of scripture. And so today as we consider this truth, redemption, as we consider this subject, I wanna give us four principles today, three principles today uh, that will help us carry out God's plan for our lives. If you're taking notes today, number one is this. God's will must be carried out God's way. God's will must be carried out God's way. Everybody with me this morning? And so we saw last week that Boaz is in love with Ruth. Ruth comes to him and says, will you marry me, essentially? And uh, they want to get married. They're in love. But Boaz has some disappointing news. He says, there is a kinsman nearer than I. There is someone closer to Elimelech that has first right to this land that Elimelech owned and to marry you, Ruth. And so Boaz has a job to do. Uh, He has to go and find that other guy. He has to go find the third wheel. He has to find him and confront him and talk about this issue. And as Boaz does this, we learn three things about the process in which Boaz uses to go about this uh, deal. The first thing that we learn about Boaz is that he had honor. He had honor. I want you to see it in verse number one. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open today as we go throughout these verses together. Notice verse number one. Then Boaz went up to the gate. Everybody say the gate. Now the gate in Antiquity and ancient culture was not just a place used for entering and exiting a city. It was not just an entrance and exit point. The gate was the place where you would go to make a legal transaction. The gate was the place that you would go to handle your business. The gate would have been a larger promenade area. It would have been uh, an enclosed area, perhaps with even some rooms involved, some seating involved. And if you wanted to take care of legal matters concerning real estate or marriage, uh, you would go to the gate. In other words, Boaz was doing the right thing the right way. Boaz didn't just say, you know what? I'm in love with Ruth. I want to marry Ruth. I don't care what anybody tells me. I'm going to go and marry Ruth. He didn't try to expedite the process. Uh, He went about things the right way. You know, so often when we are pursuing God's will, uh, we want to pursue God's will our way. 
we want to follow God's plan according to our agenda. And so often we want to expedite the process. Let's hurry this along. Let's just get this thing going. We want to expedite the process when God wants us to exemplify patience. And here what we see is Boaz doing the right thing the right way, and he is going to uh, go to the gate to show honor uh, so that he's going to take care of this legal matter in the right way. Now, notice verse number one. And then Boaz went up to the gate and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. And so it just so happens that Mr. What's-His-Face, the other guy, he just shows up that day. Now, we've seen this in the book of Ruth that uh, it just so happens that he had to show up right? We saw this when Ruth just went to the field that day, and it just so happened she happened to pick uh, the field belonging to Boaz, and it just so happened that Boaz was going to come that day. It just so happens that they talked to each other. It just so happens they fell. It just so happened, and what looked like a coincidence was actually God's providence. And here we see another example of God's providence that Boaz goes to the gate, and it just so happens that this guy shows up. How many of you have ever uh, seen someone in your life or known someone, and it seemed like whatever they did, they were just successful at it? How many of you know someone like that? Maybe, maybe someone that they have a great-looking family and a nice car, and, and all their Instagram photos look so great, and we can think, man, everything's just so easy for them. I wish, I wish my life was more like that. And uh, so often we can compare ourselves among ourselves, and it just seems like, man, everything's just working out for Boaz. He just shows up, and, and man, the guy happens to be there too. But don't ever forget that this man showed up, but Boaz intentionally went to the gate. Boaz intentionally did things the right way. He wanted to pursue God's will according to God's way. It reminds me of the verse in Genesis that says this in Genesis 24, verse 27. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. I was just in the way. I didn't know what all God was going to do, but I was on the path that he had for me. I was just walking in obedience. I was just in the way. And when I was in the way, God led me in the way. Can I encourage some of you today to get in the way, to start following the path of God, to start following the plan of God? It doesn't mean that you have everything figured out, but I being in the way, the Lord led me. Here is Boaz going to the gate. He was in the way, and it just so happens uh, that Mr. What's-His-Face shows up. Now, let's talk about this guy for a second. This is not a good guy. Not a good guy. You say, how do you know? Uh, he hasn't even done anything. Exactly. <laughs> he hasn't done anything. Where has he been? This, this man was uh, obviously a close relative. Many commentators believe the brother of Elimelech, perhaps the cousin of Elimelech. We're going to see that he had land. He had money. He had resources. If anybody could have helped Naomi when she returned from Moab, it was Mr. What's-His-Face. But he is nowhere to be found. Can I tell you today that there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission? There are sins of commission. Those are the things that we do that we know that we shouldn't do. And then there are sins of omission. That is when we know to do the right thing, and yet we don't do it. And here what we see is this man uh, who could have been in a position to help. He's nowhere to be found. And what this reveals for us is really three types of leaders in the book of Ruth. Can I give them to you today? Uh, there are three leaders in the book of Ruth. We see Elimelech at the outset of the story. He's a strong leader. He is a strategic leader. He makes the decision to move his family uh, for economic reasons from uh, Bethlehem, the place of God's people, to Moab. He's a strong leader, a strategic leader, a smart leader, you would even say. But the problem was he was not a spiritual leader. 
because he failed to see God in his decision-making process. And so he was strong, but he wasn't spiritual. That's Elimelech. Then we have this guy, Mr. So-and-so. He's nowhere to be found. Uh, He is primarily, as we'll see, just interested in himself. What can I get out of this situation? And then we see Boaz. He is a strong leader, as we'll see, but he was also selfless. He was more concerned with the needs of others than the needs of himself. I want you to see how Boaz was a leader, uh, starting in verse number uh, one. It says this, And behold, the kinsman whom Boaz spake came by, so this guy shows up, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. That's another way of saying um, he forgot his name. He's like, Hey, friend, uh, you there. And uh, he says, Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. Now, Boaz here is demonstrating great leadership. He looks at this guy and he says, Hey, you, sit down. And that guy's like, all right. And he goes and he sits down. And then in verse number two, it says, he took 10 men of the elders of the city to be witnesses of this legal transaction. And he said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. The the most common definition for leadership is leadership is influence. And here we see Boaz demonstrating great influence. He says, you, sit down. Hey, all of you, come here. Sit right here, sit right here. And, And they all follow through. They're all listening to Boaz. And so not only was Boaz demonstrating honor, doing the right thing the right way, he was demonstrating leadership And thirdly, he was demonstrating integrity. Because notice what he says in verse 4. He says, I thought to advertise, or excuse me, verse 3. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that has come out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land. And so he first talks about the real estate component of this deal. He says, Naomi is selling a piece of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise to you or disclose to you, say, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, Redeem it. If you want to purchase this, if you want to close the deal, uh, you do it. Redeem it. But if thou will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. Now, now Boaz is explaining this situation to this other kinsman. And just know, in the back of Boaz's mind, he's thinking about Ruth. He's thinking, I love Ruth. I don't want this guy to make the deal. I don't want him to purchase the land. I don't want him to redeem the land. I love Ruth. I want to provide for Ruth. I want to take care of Ruth. And so in Boaz's mind, he's thinking, please don't redeem it. Please don't redeem it. Please don't redeem it. Notice the end of verse number four. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz is thinking, this isn't how it was supposed to go. I was supposed to show up here, just kind of go through the formality and uh, just kind of sign a few papers. And then I would go and get the land and I would get to marry Ruth. But now this guy says, I will redeem it. And Boaz is thinking, this is not fair. I'm the one that's been providing for Ruth and Naomi. I'm the one that loves Ruth. I should be the one, the kinsman redeemer, according to Deuteronomy 25 in the Levirate marriage. I should be the one to be the redeemer. This isn't fair. This isn't how it was supposed to go. But Boaz had the integrity and the honesty to communicate the truth. He could have just said, you know, I'm not even going to confront this guy. I'm not even going to remind him about Deuteronomy 25. I'm just going to go and I'm going to marry Ruth. But Boaz decides to do the right thing the right way because he had integrity. The Bible says this in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse number one, better is the poor that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. You know, the reality is sometimes doing God's will, God's way, you will need integrity. Because speaking the truth is not always convenient or comfortable or easy. And here is Boaz. He did not want this guy to redeem it, but he had to present him the truth. And Boaz was handling this situation the right way. Now, let's see what happens in verse number five. Everybody still with me? It says in verse number five. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess. I believe that 
uh, Boaz was a shrewd uh, businessman. He was presenting the facts in the right order. So first he presents the real estate tran- transaction. Then he says, by the way, if you do this, you're also going to marry Ruth from Moab. Remember, the Israelites hated the Moabites. The Moabites hated the Israelites. And so Boaz kind of includes this second part of the deal. And he says, you're going to have to marry Ruth, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it. For myself, lest I mar, the word mar means to ruin, lest I ruin mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. See, this guy wanted the land. Sure, I want to build my portfolio. I want some more pieces of real estate. Sure, I'll take the land. I'll pay for it. But when he found out about Ruth, all of a sudden he said, no, I don't want any part of this. One commentator, Ian Dugwood, he he put it this way. If there were to be a child from the relationship with Ruth, the redeemer would lose the field and there would be no benefit to his own children. In a state to compensate for the costs involved in taking care of Naomi and Ruth. In other words, Mr. So-and-so was interested in ministry to the poor only if there was a payoff for himself and for his family. In other words, his primary interest was self. His primary interest was what he had going on. By the way, uh, this kinsman was very interested in his own name, his own inheritance. And ironically, we don't know his name or what happened to his family. The Bible says this in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 5. Let nothing, everybody say nothing. nothing. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to be more like Christ? Elevate others. You want to be more like Jesus? Love other people. Want to be more like Jesus? Stop being so consumed and interested in yourself and start lifting up and praying for the burdens of other people. Here's Boaz interested in others. Here's the other kinsman interested in self. What a contrast. Now, let's notice how the deal is closed in verse number 8. Verse 7. It says this. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel. So we have this kind of like side commentary that's going to tell us about a custom that took place in ancient Israel. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things... If you're going to confirm the deal, if you're going to close the deal, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can show that a deal has been completed. Katie, if you can come up here for a second to help me illustrate. Let's give it up for my beautiful wife, Katie, this morning. Now, you can... If you're going to close a real estate deal, if you're going to close it, you can sign some papers, right? Uh, You can give a good old-fashioned pinky promise to close a deal. You can give a good hearty handshake if you want to close the deal. But not so in ancient Bethlehem. What they did in Bethlehem to confirm a deal, once the deal, uh, all all the the fine print had had been set out, what they would do is they would take off the shoe. And they would say, all right, to show you that I'm a man of my word, I want to finalize and confirm this deal plucking off my shoe. Here you go. And the deal would now be confirmed. Okay. That's the process. All right. Let's give it up for Katie one more time. Now that we understand this custom of taking off the shoe. Now in ancient time to make a deal, you needed two things. You needed a scroll and you needed a shoe. Okay. The shoe was to confirm the deal. The scroll was to outline all the fine print, the, uh, the, the legal for- formalities of the deal. For example, if it was a will, if it was marriage, if it was a real estate deal, uh, you would have the scroll that would uh, list all of uh, the logistics of that deal. And typically there was two of them. 
You would keep one scroll, copy for yourself, and they would keep the other scroll, perhaps in the city gate, uh, so that if you lost it, you would have a copy of it. And so you would have a scroll, and you would have a shoe. Now, uh, hang with me uh, for a moment. We're going somewhere, okay? And so you'd have a scroll, you'd have a shoe, and there were three qualifications that had to be met in, in order for someone to be a kinsman redeemer, to finalize and close this deal. Everybody tracking with me so far? You had to meet three qualifications. Uh, you had to be a relative. You had to be a kinsman to be a kinsman redeemer. So you had to be a relative. Uh, two, you had to be able, meaning you had to be in a financial position to pay for the land. Uh, you couldn't just accept it. You had to actually afford it. And so you had to be able to purchase the land. And then you had to be willing. So just because you were able to do it, just because you were a relative, didn't mean that you were obligated to be the kinsman redeemer. You also had to be willing. And so this was Boaz. Now, I believe there's a beautiful correlation between Ruth chapter 4 and Revelation chapter number Five. Is it okay if we go a little bit deeper this morning? I want to read a few verses from Revelation where we also see another real estate deal going down. We see in Revelation, John has a vision of a scroll being opened, a book being opened. This also was a title deed to property, namely the entire earth. And so this was quite the deal that was taking place. John has this vision and he sees this scroll. The Bible says this in Revelation 5 verse number 1. John says, and I saw on the right hand of him that sat... On the throne, a book, a scroll, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book? He says, here's this scroll, this important document, the deed to all of earth. Who is qualified to open it? And John uh, starts weeping in the next verse saying, there's no one that can open this scroll. Nobody's qualified. Verse number four says this, And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. He says, you don't need to cry anymore. There is someone, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld. So John looks. He says, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Isn't it interesting that the elder told John, look to the lion, and when John looked, he saw a lamb. A lion and a lamb, a lamb as it had been slain. He sees the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, and, and, uh, and we're not going to dive into all the eschatological details here, but he says, which are the seven spirit of God sent forth into all the earth. And then in verse number seven, it says this, and he came. And he took the book, took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps. And so these elders are getting ready to worship. They're getting ready to praise. They had just seen uh, the lion and the lamb. And so they grab harps full of golden vials of odors, which were uh, the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Watch this. Here was the song saying, thou art worthy qualified to take the scroll, to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Jesus was the only one qualified to open the scroll and to complete the transaction of redemption for all of humanity. Jesus was worthy, and Jesus is qualified to open the scroll and to save all of humanity. Now, this is great news. Why was he qualified? How was he qualified? He was a relative, a kinsman. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was able. There is only one person who could pay the price for our sin. His name is Jesus Christ, and the price was his blood. Not, not only was he able, he's willing. 
God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you thankful today that Boaz, the Redeemer, points us ahead to the one true great Redeemer? His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That was the price paid. In other words, Jesus closed the deal. Jesus completed the transaction of our redemption so that we could be set free and experience the forgiveness of sins. Boaz points us ahead to Christ. So not only must God's will be done God's way, but number two is this, God's path is always accompanied with God's provision. I'm thankful that God's path is always accompanied with God's provision. And so we see as the text move forward that Boaz is going to redeem it all. In fact, in verses 9 and 10, Boaz redeems it all, and he does it in front of the witnesses. He says, okay, I'm going to get the land. His shoe is already off, and he's going to marry Ruth. He completes the deal. He closes the deal. And what happens next is the elders uh, that were there for witnesses at the city gate, they decide to lift up Boaz and his family in prayer. And it's a really a beautiful scene demonstrating God's provision, how God was going to provide for them. And I don't know about you, but I like listening into prayers that are made in the Bible seeing how people were praying for other people, how they were praying and uh, making intercessory prayers for uh, themselves. And I like listening to my kids pray. Uh, the other day we were at the dinner table and I asked my youngest daughter, Blakely, to pray for us. And uh, she was kind of in a, in a frustrated mood at her brother, Luke. And uh, so she decided to pray and she said, dear God, thank you for this food. Thank you for our night. And God, I pray that Luke would please get a spanking today. <laughs> and uh, she wanted to make sure that every wrong was made right. And so she was appealing to God Almighty to intervene for her. And that was her prayer. In these next few verses, we see really powerful prayers, prayers that bring great comfort to Boaz and his family. I want you to see it in verse number 11. Everybody with me today? It says this, And all the elders that were in the gate, and the elders said, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and Leah. Now, if you remember, Rachel and Leah were also from heathen backgrounds like Ruth. In Rachel and Leah, God used them to give sons that would become and establish the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when they prayed that Ruth would become like Rachel and Leah, they were praying that God would bless her family with many uh, children that would be strong and prominent, like Rachel and Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. And then they prayed, and do thou worthily. So the first part of the prayer is for Ruth. And then they look to Boaz and they say, and do thou worthily. Uh, the word uh, worthily means to be wealthy, to prosper. And so I love that they're praying practically and specifically even for Boaz's business. They're, they're saying, we're asking God to make, you, uh, uh, to make you prosperous in the business endeavors that you're doing, to make you uh, worthy and uh, that God blesses you. And then they go on in verse number 11. And uh, worthily in Ephrata, and to be famous in Bethlehem. Now, this isn't talking about just uh, celebrity culture being famous for the sake of fame, but really uh, the connotation is having a good name. And they're saying, we're praying that God establishes a strong name in you, Boaz, and a good reputation and a good testimony among the people. And then in verse number 12, it says this, And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, who Tamar bare unto Judah. Now, Pharez was known for having many, uh, many descendants coming from the tribe of Judah that made that tribe strong and significant. And so to pray this, they were essentially praying that Ruth would have many, many descendants. And so uh, they're praying for uh, Ruth, then they're praying for Boaz, and they're praying for the family as a whole. By the way, all of these prayers came true. Everything that they prayed for came to pass. And it got me to think, how are we doing, even here in this place at Rock Hill, how are we doing praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we praying big prayers 
on behalf of the people that are sitting around us? Are we lifting up others' needs in small groups and really taking these needs to the Lord in prayer? How are we doing when it comes to this area of supplication? The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In other words, we should be praying for one another. And the Bible speaks to this often. And so we see the comfort of prayer that they give, but then God uh, provides a son. And we see God's provision here to provide a son in verse 13. It says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Now, God is providing for them a son, and this is a beautiful picture. Now, we learned in the first week of this study in Ruth that God is mentioned 23 times in the book of Ruth. 21 times he's mentioned by the mouths of the characters in the narrative. Only two times does the unknown author of the book of Ruth mention God. The first time the author mentions God is when God provides food back in Bethlehem, that, that bread had been restored to the house of bread, showing that God is good and loving and he provides for his people. The second time God is mentioned in the book of Ruth is here, when God provides a son uh, for uh, Ruth and Boaz. And so both times it is showing that God is a God of provision. I don't know what needs you have today, whether they are financial, maybe they are relational, maybe they are physical with your health, but I do know this. God is always faithful to meet the needs of his people, and God's path is always accompanied with God's provision. Wherever God guides, God provides. Aren't you thankful today that we worship a God of provision who is faithful to meet our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Us. Charles Spurgeon said this, feed the sparrows and neglect the offspring of his loins? Give crumbs to birds and not feed his sons and daughters? You feel instinctively that the kind heart which, re which remembers the fowls of heaven must yet more remember his own offspring. In other words, if God is so loving that he will provide and take care of the birds, certainly he will take care of your needs this morning. So God's path is always accompanied with God's provision. And this leads us to our third and final thought today. Do you have one more in you today? Number three is this, your story is connected to a much greater story. Your story is connected to a much greater story. This story in Ruth is connected to a much greater story. Yes, it's a love story, but it's not just a love story between Ruth and Boaz. It's really a love story of how much God loves his people. Yes, Boaz was special, but Jesus is more special. Yes, Boaz paid a price, but Jesus paid a greater price. Yes, uh, Boaz was selfless, but Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of selflessness the world has ever seen. And so this story is connected to a much greater story. And I want you to see it in verse number 14 as we close out the chapter in the, in the narrative today. Verse 14. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law which loves thee which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it and so Naomi is now helping provide uh, for uh, for Ruth and the baby verse 17 and the woman uh, the woman her neighbors gave it a name saying there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed Obed is short for Obadiah which means servant of Yahweh Obed, and watch this. Everybody with me? He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Go to the last verse, the very last verse of the book of Ruth, verse 22. 
and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And so the book of Ruth ends pointing to a king, the famous King David, that Obed was the grandfather of David. Obed had a son, his name was Jesse. Jesse had many sons. David became king of Israel. And so we see that the story of Obed was connected to a much greater story, but it goes even deeper and beyond that. Because if you fast forward to the New Testament, we see the lineage of Jesus. We see the lineage of Christ in Matthew chapter one. The Bible says this in Matthew one, verse number one. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Perez and Zara of Tamar. The first woman mentioned in the lineage of Christ is Tamar. Tamar had a sexually immoral relationship with her father-in-law. Tamar was not a great example of godly living. And yet God chose to use even Tamar. And Pharaoh's begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begot uh, Nason, and Nason begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was a prostitute. She hid those two Israelite spies. And yet God used even a prostitute to give birth to a son named Boaz. That just reminds you, your story is connected to a much greater story. Here we see Tamar, a wicked woman. Here we see a prostitute, this is the second woman mentioned in the lineage of Christ. And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth. Here's the third woman. Ruth was a Moabite widow from Moab, God's washpot, God's garbage can. No one expected anything spiritual or fruitful to come from Moab. And so what do we see in the lineage of Christ? that God uses unlikely people in unlikely places to accomplish his unfailing purpose. Aren't you thankful today that God is glorified even in our weakness? And you might think, man, I have some complicated relationships. When I consider my relationships, it's complicated. Look to the lineage of Christ. It's complicated. You might say, my marriage is beyond repair. I've made some mistakes. I've done some things that I shouldn't have done. Can I tell you, God can still use you. I've sent some text messages that I shouldn't have sent. God still loves you and God still wants to use you. Hey, no matter what is in your past, no matter what baggage you brought in this morning, it is not too late to repent, to turn around and to pursue a relationship with the one that created you and the one that loves you and the one that still has a plan and purpose for your life. Ultimately, we see this was fulfilled in verse number 16 of Matthew chapter one. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. This is what the story of Ruth is all about. That Ruth points us ahead to our Redeemer. And Ruth gave birth to a son named Obed who would be in the very line of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, you might not think that your story matters. You might not think that your story is significant or you have great value or purpose or worth. But I just wanna remind you today, your story is connected to a much greater story. If you love Jesus, if you have been saved, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, then your story is connected to the greatest story of all time, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You matter far more than you think you do. You see Obed, this little baby boy, and his story connected to King David, 
leading all the way to Jesus. I was reading recently, actually several years ago, I read this story, uh, Bob Goff told the story about before his daughter was born, that he uh, wrote her a note forgiving her for crashing his car. And he said, in the likelihood that this happens, I'm gonna write her a note of forgiveness. And so he wrote that note, he put it in a jar and he went out into a field and he uh, buried that note in a field. Sure enough, when his daughter was a teenager, she crashed his car. And so rather than having a conversation with her, he gave her a shovel in the court and the coordinates for that jar. She went out, she dug that jar up, read the letter, and she realized that she was forgiven before she was even born. Can I tell you today that long before we were ever born, Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and he died in our place and he redeemed us by his blood so that forgiveness is available. And today, if you've never experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven. You can be redeemed to be purchased back into the family of God. The first verse I read today as we started this message was Colossians 1.14. I thought it would be appropriate to end the message with the same verse that we started with. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is available today to all those that will believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.